situation that you were in yesterday. There's a lot to unpack from that broadcast. So Pros vs. Jays is going to be very eclectic and maybe a little bit heartwarming this week. Well, we'll, we'll wait and see on the heartwarming part, but certainly you look at uh, ETSU basketball in Alabama and it was interesting. First time I was not allowed in a building, had to call it remotely. Um, that would be what I'm referencing, by the way. <laughs> That's what? where we're going with Pros vs. Jays. Like okay. Well, that makes sense, but it. Uh, it was it was interesting. Finally, got the only thing I was mad about was I've asked for weeks and sent emails multiple. I almost felt like going back and counting up, but I think it just made me mad. Asking if I could get a clean feed for those that don't speak that lingo. Basically, it is the game broadcast without the commentators, and so you get all the gnat sound, the arena, the horn, everything else, all the camera sounds. You get everything but the announcers, and that's what the SEC is providing other SEC teams. And I thought they were just big league in me, and they were going to, you know, don't worry about the guy from uh, East Kentucky State, if you mm, didn't see the graphic that popped up, and some other things. And it was not just in the beginning of the game, by the way. I looked over, and every time they would put up that little sidebar graphic that had what should be East Tennessee State at the top, it was East Kentucky State. I mean, what in the – how do you screw that up? Now, I'll say this. Talking to Stephen May, who is our creative director here and deals with all of our live game production, brilliant man. And there have been times where he has not been able to figure out how to get those graphics because it's just pre-built templates, right? That's all you do. Everything's pre-built. And there have been times where he has fought with that system, that graphics machine, in our trailer previously, and now I'm sure down in the War Pickle studio, and has not been able to get the right wording or right logos. So I don't think it's that maybe they overlooked 
the Kentucky part because how could you possibly screw that up? But I think it was just they were not able to maybe change the wording. Maybe there was a glitch there with the system that they were not able to figure out. But Steven, a smart guy that he is, just ends up not using the graphic because you're going to look stupid. You're going to look like you have no idea what's going on, who's even playing, and you're going to make people mad. And that's exactly what happened. I, I'm wondering. Steven pays attention, so he notices that. I'm wondering whoever they bring in. Holiday You really time. think you could not? Yeah, you're right. During the holidays, could be C-Squad. I mean. Obviously, it wasn't a football game, so they didn't have their A team in. Well, I, would, I would assume that's fair. It's not an SEC wow. game, so that's their B team. Shots are being fired. And then, uh, you know, it's not softball, so we probably got the D team. There you go. Uh, all right, the game itself, besides the horrific graphic, um, actually was entertaining, I thought, first half. Neither team really, you know, uh, really doing a whole lot. I think Alabama was in foul trouble in the first half. You saw Herbert Jones, their leading scorer. Three fouls, no points. Um, there was no John Petty Jr. He had to sit out for coach decision. I'm assuming that's some sort of suspension-type deal because it wasn't COVID. It wasn't injury. It wasn't whatever. They just said coach's decision, which is code for they did something to make coach angry and coach didn't play them, um, whether that was on or off the court. And so Josh Primo got the start. He picked up a couple fouls early. So ETSU went to locker room down one. And then Mike, here's where the game turned. At the 17-19 mark, Silas Sadeke picked up his third foul. And Alabama started to go on a run. He gets Sadeke gets put in quickly. Got just a horrific whistle against him. He got him his fourth foul. Alabama continued that run to a 20-6 measure. And then really never looked back from there. Bucks got it to single digits, I think, on three different occasions. And the time they did... The exact next possession, Alabama hit a shot to push it back to double digits. Here's why I was so excited going into the game. Because we get word about, I'd say, what, 20, 25 minutes before the game starts that you're not going to have Petty or um, Rojas. And we had talked about just earlier that day the depth issues for Alabama, that they have pretty much eight guys that they play extensively are going to see action in every game. Three bench guys, five starters. Starters are going to play more than the bench guys. And Rojas was that seventh guy, and Petty was one of the starters. So I'm looking at the roster and who they're going to play today, as of yesterday, obviously. And looking at it, just to me, was going to be a depth versus depth game. And has ETSU had the most consistent depth this year? Not necessarily. They haven't had guys that have come out off the bench and had really solid efforts throughout the year. Um, Sorrell Smith had a couple of good games against the naughty ones that the Bucks played, and there's been other bench performances. Ty Brewer had a nice game yesterday after a, or I should say against Lee University. Um, he, he had a quiet day yesterday. You know, he's someone they really need to get going. But when I was counting up the numbers, just basic bodies versus bodies, I, I thought ETSU really had a chance to take this game. And people will look now and say, oh, you're crazy, you know, absurd. Alabama just showed that they were the better team in the second half. And, and to an extent, they did. I mean, Jaden Shackelford had an unbelievable game. But before the contest and seeing how things went in the first half, I thought that this was there for the taking. And you look at the box score now, and four fouls on Sal Sadecki, four on Ladarius Brewer, Ty Brewer with four, Richard Amafule with four. So that kind of equalized, right? And when you get guys that you rely on, Jason Shea called Sal Sadecki the core of their defense yesterday. When he gets in foul trouble, it's just not good news, and they've got to teach him about positioning and not getting in those bad spots where you have to foul just to save points. Uh, it was the equalizer, foul trouble was. There's no question about it because 
before the game started, the Bucks were going to go, what, probably 8, 9, 10 deep. They ended up playing 10, where Alabama, if they had their way, they would probably just play those five or six guys because everyone else hasn't seen extensive game action, and they'd be rolling the dice by putting those guys in there. But that is the great equalizer is foul trouble, and so the Bucks were limited in their top-end guys being able to play. And Ladarius Brewer still had a good night, you know, 18 points, two of six from outside, hit 50% of his field goals. Uh, but Brewer and Amafule, you know, a tie Brewer, that is, an Amafule, um, 25 combined minutes, two points on three shots. And, boy, for Richard Amafule, I think it was kind of a wake-up call to college basketball yesterday. You know, eight minutes, didn't take a shot, four fouls. And Jason Shea said it very bluntly in the postgame, our youth got exposed. And he didn't blame them, just said there's more experienced, bigger guys, more athletic guys out there. And this was a big climb from a non-Division one. I thought overall, looking back at the game, it's a good result for ETSU. They're right there in the first half, just had foul trouble in the second half. Hurt. I mean, you play conference, you know, you play non-conference to get different types of looks, and depending on the team is what type of looks you really want. But you certainly want not just to get a paycheck from playing some of these Power Five teams, but you want to see what does that top-end program look like, a Power Five program look like, the size, the speed. If you are, you know, like last year, it was important to get the game against Kansas and LSU, who thought was going to be better than maybe after the tailspin they got in after ETSU beat them, then you know, a couple teams are going to be in the tournament, that what teams you're going to have to face. Obviously, Kansas national power, chance to win championship, you're able to go with them. You know, those games are important for one, just like the get-right games are important as well to get some different looks. A couple games are built for confidence, a couple games are meant to make you a little tougher to get ready, and then you try to get some peer-on-peer matchups where either it's just a good game that you need to play, or it's a situation where it's like, okay, they run a certain type of offense or press. We saw Coach Forbes a few years ago schedule some teams that sort of do that one-two-two, three-quarter court press that UNCG did because ETSU was having a little issue with that. So there's a lot of different things to it. And when you're an experienced team, you know there are certain finite things you can work on to get to certain things. When you are a young team, it's just about reps and getting out there and doing. And for a young team, this season is going to be hard because you didn't get the extra six games or whatever it would be in the non-conference season and exhibition games and a few others and close scrimmages. And so you weren't able to get that. And so it's going to be a little bit of a longer process for younger teams. And the advantage is going to be, and what we've seen so far, is teams that return a lot of players have been able to you know, perform well or scheduling where you're not maybe as challenged. I'm not saying you schedule seven, eight wins because, I mean, Citadel's been in several toss-up games besides their non-D1s. You know, they've just been able to pull pull those games out. You know, Chattanooga's been in pure-type games if you look at their record last year and the record of some of the teams that they had scheduled. So it's a situation where, you know, they were trying to get, you know, some 50-50 games and see what could happen, and they've been able to do it. UNCG challenged themselves a little more. Furman, a better team, has challenged themselves a little more. You know, they picked up a few more losses. But if you're asking me right now, Furman and UNCG line up against Citadel and Chattanooga is going to games, you'll guess pretty easily who I think is going to win the game. And then you're starting to look at uh, Mercer and what they're – I mean, the first conference game of the year is going to be a good one, Wofford at Mercer. Wofford, you know, hadn't really picked up a a meaningful win yet. But what does that mean? I I got no idea. It was against their schedule. And then – Mercer's gone on the road and, and won an ACC school. They've won, you know, against some in-state schools that have some decent basketball. So it, the conference is going to be wide open. And, and 
getting these games in is going to be important now. The question is moving forward. I'm still concerned. Let's go over concerns before I go over. Rebounding. Rebounding 21-2, to right? Second chance points. I think it was 10-0 first half, 11-2 second half. And nobody in the world outside of a guy named Monsanto and the older Brewer apparently can hit a three-point shot. It's baffling to me because I really thought, and I'm glad that you know we have that. We've talked about the big board on the thing in Mike's office where we say these outlandish things, and I was going to make a three-point team thing, and then backed off of it the last second. And thank goodness because I really thought that because the number, I didn't think they would have one guy that would go out there and break Rashawn Rivers' you know single-season record or anything like that. I did think that the multiple guys that can shoot, or at least in my eyes of what I've watched can shoot, would be able to sort of spread the wealth, and the Bucks would average maybe nine, nine and a half, ten threes a game, but it would be because five, six guys are hitting at least one, and maybe Brewer's hitting three, and maybe Smith or Monsanto's hitting a, a couple that night where the other guys maybe not. I thought really for sure they would get there, and, and it's just not the case. I mean, they hit eight, and, you know, Monsanto hits four, four of them. Six of them. Six of them. They Mon- hit nine and Monsanto nine. Hit six and Brewer hit I was two. looking at the first half box. That's why the numbers weren't adding up. See, I'm not a very smart guy either. Well, but those uh, two guys, eight for 16 from three, everyone else one for nine. Yeah, David Sloan hit the only threes, one for four. Bonnie Patterson's now, I think, two for 12 on the season. He went 0 for 2. Sorrell Smith, another 0 for 2. Ty Brewer, 0 for 1. I'm just very shocked that, that the rebounding really showed in Alabama, I think, overall. I think it showed against Lee. Well, that's true. They were down. They were minus that. That worried me, and that's what we talked about yesterday going into the game, and it reared its ugly head again. And both those were offensive rebounds, too, that are what I think is. 13-5 to five on the offensive glass yesterday in favor of Alabama. Yeah, just troublesome. And, and, and then capitalizing off that. And then points off turnovers again. Um, favorite Alabama, but that wasn't as astronomical as the, the 21-2. to two. I mean, if you just, obviously, if you can cut that number in half, you know, and you're only maybe down. 10 points in that category as opposed to 19. I mean, you got a better shot in the game, and then maybe you get extra shots where they don't. But anyway, it did not work out that way. It was a little ironic. The hustle board, and you can look at any of the stats on it, uh, there's five, essentially, if you look at the box scores on etsubucks.com and across collegiate athletics. So against Lee, what was the big number in terms of the hustle board? Points on turnovers yeah, for me. All, all ETSU, right? 18 nothing. Somehow, Lee managed zero points off turnovers while forcing 13, while ETSU got 18 points off turnovers. And then things were flipped on the hustle board yesterday. And Jason Shea talked about a post game. He was not happy with the fact that the loose balls were just going Alabama's way. And they were turning into three-point shots. And that's disastrous, especially when you're not able to answer with the three outside of two players. Uh, as you mentioned, 20 assists for Alabama on 29 field goals was very impressive. But, yeah, second chance points, 21 to 2, and points in the paint, 34 to 16. It went ETSU's way against Lee. It went Alabama's way yesterday. And to your point on the three-point shooting, uh, David Sloan has been good in the early going, but he is not shooting the ball nearly as much from outside as Ladarius Brewer, Damari Monsanto. I think Ty Brewer, Sorrell Smith, and, and Bonnie Patterson, I'm, I'm just not sure Bonnie should be shooting that shot a lot. Uh, 2 of 14 well, you can't now. convince him of that. And 9 of 48 is what Ty Brewer and Sorrell Smith are from beyond the arc. Truth Harris is mixed in at 3 of 7, but but you're absolutely right. I mean, Damari Monsanto, 
I think the big thing, big positive yesterday, because we talked about concerns, I think the big positive was Jamari looks like he is not a product of D1, not D1 competition. He is a product of coming on strong and being a top scorer for this team and putting in that work and keeping his mindset the same from going from the bench to the starting line. So he missed a couple of weeks leading up to the Fort Myers tournament, the Elko Showcase, and he was playing the best ball of anybody, I think. Uh, and the coaches were talking about it. Me and Kevin Brown, I watched a few things, talking about it. I think you saw one or two as well. You probably agree. And then he just wasn't able to, to get shots up for a couple of weeks. And then he came back, I think, a day or two before the Gulf Coast Showcase. I think the rust and maybe just getting back into the flow show. Last three games, obviously, maybe the starting lineups give him an extra gear. But whatever it is, he's starting to show you things that we thought he could bring. And I'm hoping it just continues to steamroll because he can do a lot of things. The one thing he'll have to improve upon is, yeah, he hit six threes. But guess what? Everyone's going to watch film. Everyone's going to know. He's going to have to figure out, you know, sort of Trey Boyd first year, right, just a three-point shooter. Boyd worked on his game, was able to add different stuff. I don't know that Damari could do that on the fly, but going into next season, you know, if he wants to make that step to a more elite player, he's going to have to figure out something else besides the three-point shot. Being 6'6 and being able to dribble, we saw him go inside. He got the and one play. I think he also hit some weird like falling out of one-footed. It was amazing. Falling out of bounds or something crazy. So, you know, I don't know that I really want him taking that shot all the time, but certainly him going to the rim or doing something else at his size because it's going to be a matchup problem for a lot of teams on who they put with them. I mean, last year we saw that Pat Good was such a matchup problem for UNCG. They, they put James Dickey on him because Dickey's such a freak athlete, and they knew Pat can't get a shot off, so they basically just took him out of the game. Well, UNCG doesn't have James Dickey anymore, so I'm kind of curious on what direction do they go with Monsanto, but he's going to be a matchup problem if he continues to go. And I'm hoping he, you know, he takes a little focus off. Then with Darius Brewer, he can drive, he can get to the rim. Does that maybe free things up for him? Plus, I think Silas Adekie is going to be able to score more if he can just stay on the floor more. I think that that was a tough matchup for him. It was interesting to hear Jason Shea yesterday post game talk about when Demario Monsanto is most effective. And he talked about staying within the offense, right? And that's something that I think you have to teach, especially great scorers, because they show up to the gym. And their mindset is, I'm putting the ball in the basket by any means necessary. And Demari Monsanto can do that. But Coach Shea looks at his offensive game, assesses it, obviously breaks down tons of tape. And, and what he sees is that ISO game for Demari, working outside of the offense, is where he gets in trouble. When they ran some sets for him, when they run plays to get him free, get him shots, that's when Jason Shea likes his offensive game. And now, there were a couple of times yesterday, uh, one time in particular comes to mind, I think it was in the second half, he got a rebound, one of his nine, came down the other way. I don't think there was a pass, and he just pulled up from the right wing, popped one, and it went down. And it was quite impressive. He, he was red hot. To see him and Shackelford go back and forth, um, those are a couple high-level scorers, and it was just who blinks first. And unfortunately for the Bucs, uh, they just didn't have enough help outside of Monsanto. Um, they had Ladarius Brewer, but Shackelford just eight threes. I, I mean, it was so impressive. And really, the game was decided when a couple other guys did step up, Juwan Gary and Alex Reese. The lead went from three to ten when they scored four straight baskets. And so ETSU, as you said, without that support, without other guys hitting shots, you know, a decade saddled with foul trouble. Uh, Ladarius Brewer saddled with foul trouble at times. Ty Brewer, Richard Amafula, or Amafula, excuse me, uh, Sorrell Smith, you know, one of five from the floor. That's, again, another concern, I think. We were looking at him going to the bench and saying, all right, this seems like a better fit. He's shooting the ball better.
better off the bench. Those were the 91s, though, where Demari Monsanto brought his game yesterday as well against the Power Five. Sorrell Smith struggled. So, point being, I think that Demari, if he can, yes, have that mentality that he can score anytime, any place. You need that, but reeling it in just a bit and operating within the scheme of Jason Shea because the specific term that Shea used yesterday was when he gets in that ISO one-on-one, he gets a bit upright. That leaves you susceptible to steals, and so you can see it. He's a little bit stiff when he's on that one-on-one ISO game. So I think that's the part, as you said, that that needs to come around a bit more, and that'll come with time. He's a redshirt freshman. Right now, to see a redshirt freshman score 23, grab 9 on the road against the Power 5, huge, massive deal for Damari Monsanto and this team. There will be more layers of his game to come, and the fact that we don't see them right now is totally fine because you're getting high-level production from him. And while it wasn't enough for a win last night, he, to me, looks like the guy that is going to be here to stay to be that number two scorer behind LeVarius Burke. You know, I agree. And, and here to stay, hopefully, for several years and can become, you know, one of the upper echelon players because he's just got tools and size and things that people really don't have. I want to talk about another positive. I think Marcus Nyblack, watching him over the last several games – had, you know, man, the, the first three games down there, Florida, you know, Gulf Coast Showcase, I'm sitting there going, I, I, don't, I don't know how old Miss maybe took a flyer on him, but now I'm starting to see as he's gotten more comfortable. And, again, that's always unfair when you talk about the first three games for a, a college athlete and some things. But now we're starting to see him be a little better with the basketball. Um, had a couple of turnovers, but 16 minutes. I thought he did well with the offense, did well with the pressure. He had a couple shots. Um, I really felt like he's getting better. I think Damari, young kid's getting better. I think they need a couple of the guys that have played at other schools to figure it out. That being Ty Brewer, that being Terrell Smith. Those two guys really need to figure it out. And then David Sloan sort of a, a meh, up and down game for him. He had 14 points, but he had eight turnovers. And so, um, you know, he gave you five assists. It was one of those, but the 14 points, you know, we know he can score. Five or six from the free throw line, we know he can shoot free throws. He was able to find guys and get good, clean looks for the five assists. But there were a couple turnovers there that obviously uh, were, were just bad. Um, so uh, at the point guard position, I think if Sloan can cut down some of the turnovers, obviously, then I think, um, and again, Sloan really hadn't had many games where he's had, you know, an absurd amount of turnovers, or at least I can't remember off the top of my head, he's had absurd amount of so that could be just a one-off with Alabama. But I, I felt like with him and Nightblack coming on, that's really, really going to be helpful. Both point guards can be trusted. I don't think there's a whole lot of trust in Marcus early. Now I'm thinking there is getting more and more trust with the staff. Matter of fact, the last couple of games they've been playing Nightblack and Sloan on the floor at the same time. And I think because some of the shooting struggles and Sloan can score, they get him off the ball and put him over at the two and let Marcus run the point. And then I can distribute to Sloan. So I, I think, you know, looking, you know, we've given a lot of negatives, which, you know, when you lose, that's what happens. But looking at some of the positives, obviously, you've already talked about Damari, but I think Marcus Nyblack is one of those that is starting to trend upwards. All in all, this is the first time that ETSC has lost by less than 20 to Alabama in the four different games that they've played them now. And it's not an upset over LSU. We get that. It's not an upset over Mississippi State. It's not an upset over Georgia Tech. But to go on the road, you're down by one at the half. You take the lead with Ladarius Brewer hitting a three right out of the break. And, yes, things go 
a little pear-shaped after that, mostly because of the foul trouble, I'd say, and just because Jade Shackelford was absolutely out of his mind last night. I mean, some of the shots he was taking they late. Blacked out oh, I mean, he was 35 feet out, it seemed like, at some points. Like, he absolutely had no conscience, and I don't think he needed to shoot with one because he was 8 of 13 from outside. I mean, one of the better shooting nights that you'll see. But all that said, you lose by 16. It's just a run of, quite honestly, you know, five, six, seven minutes. And I get it's a 40-minute game, and that can be a lot of time. But I think that there's pluses to take out of this game. I mean, yes, the 16-point loss, but you were right there at the break. You ran into some things in the second half that you couldn't overcome, but you are on the right track. And is it going to take a little bit more time? Are we going to see the best version of the Bucks against Western Carolina, against UNCG the first two games out of this holiday pause? No, I don't think we will. Uh, are both those games winnable? Yes, they absolutely are. But right now, it seems like you have to be playing, you know, 95% perfect in order to get those big wins in conference play. That number will come down as things go along. I think both games are winnable. I'm not sure if the Bucks will win them both. I, I think we'll find out a lot about ETSU against Western Carolina in that first home game in one week. Um, but taking this to the holiday break, it, it's important for the team to not focus on the negatives, for Jason Shea to not focus on the negatives. It's his job to correct some of those, but I think there's a lot to be happy about in this contest, despite the fact that you look at it now and say, well, 16-point loss, it's a little bit misleading, I think. No, I, I agree, and, you know, it was, you know, and you can make points on the other side. Alabama's a little shorthanded. The whistles as they normally do in the second half against a Power 5 team didn't quite go your way. That's not a shocker. I bet if you ask Lee University how they felt about second-half whistles, they'd probably feel the same way. So it all works out at some point. All that's gone because after Christmas, it's pretty much league play from there on out. Not pretty much. It is league play from there on out. Unless there's some scheduling quirks and, and 2020 carries over into 2021. So, And next up for ETS should be Western Carolina on December 30th. So that's like our men's basketball. We'll take a look at the women's team. Right after this time, out your work, San Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last seven years, Johnson City Powerball has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sanderson and Sidekick back with you talking ETSU women's basketball. And, boy, Sunday was a barn burner inside Brooks Gym and a late feverish? What would you call that? What would you call the comeback? Because it was it was like a six, seven-point game like a minute to go. And next thing you know, ETSU had an opportunity. Um, Ty take the lead a couple different times. and didn't even have a shot with .9, even when it looked insurmountable and almost uh, – Banked one in from the corner from an impossible angle to tie it up, send it to overtime. It was it was a frantic finish, to say the least, and a game that I thought for sure, as you know, as my bold prediction, and if we're doing the recaps, you'll, you'll know, but uh, the full-fledged 10-point victory did not come into play. But I, it did almost work out to where 
app had a lead that was almost looked like it was going to be over with, and the Bucks were still going to be able to beat them. It was absolutely frantic. You're totally right. Startling a bit. I mean, the game looked like it was over going into the final two minutes. Appalachian State basically used a 17-2 run at the end of the third quarter, and goodness, it's that third quarter again, right? I always talk about the first Eight. seven minutes of the third quarter, but this time it was the latter stage. Well, but it, it, what was weird about it was because they built, I think, a seven-point lead in the third quarter and was starting to look like they were going to push it to double digits, and then I think there was a missed shot. When the Bucks had a chance to go up nine or ten, and then from there, all of a sudden, you know, App came down, pulled up for a couple three, and it just started going downhill. It was forty-seven to forty ETSU, five oh five left, and then Brooke Bigot, who is not afraid to shoot it at any time, and she's a fifty percent three-point shooter this year, top thirty in the nation. So not surprising to see her really try and get her own sometimes, iso a little bit off the dribble, take the three, pull up in transition, uh, you know, run plays for in the corner to get an open look. The Bucks did not do a great job all day long of finding her. She did have some open shots, and she did make ETSU pay. I thought overall they did all right with making sure that they were on who they needed to be at the three-point arc, but all in all, even if you give someone like Brooke Bigot a, what, five or six shots, you know, five or six looks throughout the game where you're not right up in her face and not challenging the shot as good as you need to, you know, you're going to be in trouble. And so it was Brooke Bigot, and then Janae Sanders. And so you got Jasmine Sanders on one side. That's ETSU. Janae Sanders for Appalachian State, whose uh, godbrother is Steph Curry, by the way. Um, and uncles, uncles are Muggsy Bogues and Del Curry. So uh, obviously some basketball lineage there makes her quite the impressive player. Not only that, but the fact that she you know, has worked on specifically the part of her game where she, you know, she drives, finishes at the rim. And that's what she started to do in spades, really. 47 to 45 after her first layup, and then Laney Gostin had a overall kind of quiet day. But you look at the box score, and she still got into double figures. She ties the game with a mid-range jump shot, just given too much space by the Buck Bigs. And then it's Gostin again on a layup, and Bigot hits a three, and Sanders again on a drive, and then Dame Bertolina, who's someone I didn't think would score all day, quite honestly. And then she steps up, and it's Appalachian State just like that. Uh, up eight going into the fourth, and the Bucks hung around. You know, they got the first five out of the quarter break, and they held Appalachian State scoreless. This is something they've done a lot lately is shut down the opponent's offense the first three or four minutes of a quarter. They did it against Davidson in the first and second quarter in the decisive fourth quarter against Appalachian State. They got within three, and that's when Sanders, again, started to do her thing, and Gosnell, you know, got to the rim, and you fast forward, and it's an eight-point game going into the final two minutes, and, and I was ready to kind of shut it down, and that's when the Bucks put the press on, and I'm not quite sure I've seen an implosion on that many consecutive possessions like Appalachian State was experiencing. Um, they could not even inbound the ball. I mean, there were some but odd things late, too. It, it, was, like a, it was like a made free throw, then immediate inbounds was stolen, and Imani Williams got a bucket. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was panic. It's almost like they've never worked. I'm sure they have, but it looked like they literally either not worked on it or can't duplicate the speed that it came at him. I don't know, but they look—they certainly look, to say uncomfortable is not a, is a greatest understatement I've probably said on the show. And he talked about with the men, some calls not going their way. I'm not saying all the calls didn't go ETSU's way. I, I think overall officiating-wise, it was bad on both sides, is what I'd say. There were some odd, odd things that... They love to travel. 
The travel was called. Shania got called for traveling like three or four different yeah. times. And she did against Davidson, too, so maybe it's not just a one-off game. But they did love to travel. There was the, the mythical odd, timeout. The odd jump ball timeout that they got me off the couch. Originally jump ball, and then they get together for 15, 20 seconds. No, 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 timeout Appalachian State. That was right in the key portion of the game late on. And so it was 66-66, fast forward basically past all this absurdity, ridiculousness. And Pre Stanley, who, speaking of bold predictions, I'll talk about this later, but she's got 14, drives inside, pretty easy finish at the rim. She's a heck of a scorer, 22 per game. She's going to outclass you most of the time if you're one-on-one with her. Um, there's no shame in being driven around in that situation. You'd like some help defense, right? But you're afraid to leave shooters like Bigot and Bertolina and those that have hurt you on the day. So she gets a layup with five seconds left. This is the second consecutive game. Makaya Dowdell has had the ball in a big spot and turned it over. And I don't think that's a trend. I don't think a lot of it is even necessarily Dowdell's fault. You remember the Davidson game, Jay. It was, what, a five-point game, 40 seconds left. Dowdell drives inside in the paint, last dribble that she's going to pull up and probably get a two right at the rim, dribbles it off her foot. That's a turnover. Five seconds left to give it to Dowdell in an inbound charge with three and a half seconds left. Stanley hits one of two, and so ETSU had a chance. And Jasmine Sanders, a very, very difficult shot, jumps off one foot while spinning in the air and almost banks it in from the corner. It would have been yeah, unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about, like, literally where the sideline of baseline meets. It was so incredible. It was almost a shot that you almost couldn't hit the backboard because she was either even or slightly on the other side of the backboard, I thought, from the TV camera angle. But she clipped the top corner of the backboard and then shot on the rim, and it wasn't one that, like, ricocheted and shot off there. It kind of hung on the rim for a second before it fell. It was, it would have been the perfect finish for her day, or I suppose that would have forced overtime. I'm not sure if she was behind the three-point arc. They would have reviewed that. I, I have a feeling it would have been changed to a two and the Bucks would have lost by one. And how hard, that would have been the worst loss ever. It would have been tough. I, I just think she was trying to do so much in that final moment. I mean, just to get a shot off is incredible. Looked like she took off from inside the arc, regardless of if she did or if she didn't. Uh, unable to make the high degree of difficulty three, but she had a great day, and she had a great couple of games for ETSU. She's starting to find it, like we talked about the entire season. Jasmine Sanders is a good scorer. She's going to find maybe not the season-long consistency, but she's going to have stretches like she did this weekend. I I was excited to see it, and she had a couple of confident long-range threes. We know she can hit a three, but there were a couple, maybe a few steps back from the three-point arc just to get a clean look, and again, just very confident-looking stroke. That's what we've been expecting out of her. I don't think she's lacked confidence because she kept shooting the ball, which is what I like, and the shooter eventually will figure it out, and she did. I love the fact that Ja'Kai Davis continues to be efficient, 18 points on 7 of 9. And I think Makai Daldell heard my plea um, from our podcast about please shoot the ball more because just looking at the numbers and what she was able to do, could she take more shots? She did. Still shot 50%, 7 of 14, 8 rebounds, 16 points. I think, you know, they can certainly continue to rely on those two players, especially to handle sort of the front court, and hopefully the rest of the back court will come around as uh, Jasmine Sanders starting to put up some points. Still shocking Kai Upton on points, shocking Elise Stafford. I mean, to say those two don't score and you give me a three-point loss, I'll probably still laugh at you and go, it's got to be double digits or more. I mean, in, in reality, I, there's just no way, and it's just can't figure it out. I'm sure Coach is trying to figure it out. I'm positive Elise is trying to figure it out. Um, I think she'll figure it out against Newberry. I'm hoping that get-right game works out for her. And it wasn't just Kai and Elise. I mean, you look at the first 33 minutes and 35 seconds of the game, 
four players scored three chances. Now, they were scoring a lot. It was Hooks, Davis, Dowdell, Sanders. Carly had a, a good game, career high in assists, wasn't as efficient as you'd like from the field, but she's you know freshman trying to figure out when to take shots and, and I think honing in that shot selection a bit more. But career high in assists, played 37 minutes, first two starts for her in her career this weekend. But 33 minutes and 35 seconds to not have more than four players score. So, yes, Elise had a really rough weekend. 24 minutes, 0 of 11 from the field against Davidson and Appalachian State combined. I, I think the season defined for Elise, and then also Shania Jackson, I mean, you and me both agreed, I don't think there was any dissension amongst either of us, that the two that were coming into this year as the top returners for ETSU were Shania and Elise. There was an exchange, I think it was in the late third quarter or early fourth quarter, where Elise was right at the cup. And she was maybe a foot and a half away right in front of the rim, missed it, and that's just how her year's going, right? Shania gets the offensive rebound, stripped once on the way up, stripped twice on the way up, stripped three times on the way up, and then finally is able to gather it back in and go up for the layup and get her only two points of the day. How one of those was not a jump ball or, knowing the referee, travel, right? One of those two things, I'm not quite sure, but it seems like that was the microcosm of their season right now. It is just a struggle to get even the slightest glimmer of who these two were last year. I don't think it's going to last. Their best basketball game in Southern Conference play. The Bucks have one more tune-up against Newberry on December 31st, a 91 get-right game. Um, second year in a row they played a get-right game on that New Year's Eve during the day. Won by 38 last year against Converse. Yeah, I, think. Four, I, I like it. You come out, you send the kids home for Christmas. You don't know what they've been doing, or eating some turkey, laying around, just want to get away from everything. Or that's what I do. I, I don't know what they do, but that's what I do. So I'm just thinking you come back and uh, you know let them get slowed back. I mean, if I had my druthers and would set up schedules for teams, I would have a non-D1 to kick off the year, which, of course, again, this year's a little different. But if you were playing two, I would have one to kick off the year, get some confidence going, and I would have one coming out right before conference season. And just everybody see the ball go in the basket right before you get in the conference. I even heard Jason Jay talk about it in the postgame last night for the men. He's going to do a couple of days of conditioning when the guys get back because you don't know for those couple of days how much they will have lost being back at home over the holiday. Um, so I think it's going to be another good game for ETSU against Newberry, against the you know, 91 right before you get into conference play. I agree. I think it's smart to schedule that way so you can ease your way back in. I think it's the perfect – honestly, this is what I do. And we don't have to talk about Newberry a ton because I do want to touch on one more thing from this past weekend. But if I'm Brittany Azell and – Goodness knows she doesn't need coaching advice from me. But if I were in her shoes, I'm playing Elise Stafford, Janiah Jackson, Amaya Adams, and Kaya Upton all 40 minutes. And put whoever you want as that fifth alongside those four. And just telling them to go out and figure out what's wrong. Work yourself through it. And obviously if it's too close for comfort as you get down the stretch, then you, know, you, you go to your preferred lineup and pull away. But play them as much as they need to work through their struggle because you need all four of those young women to be at their best. And Amaya Adams, quite honestly, I sit here now, I say Amaya Adams has been the best of the four. And if you look at the beginning of the year and you tell me to rank those four in order of how much they're going to contribute to the team this season, I'd say it would have gone Elise, Shania, Kaya, and Amaya. And right now, I think it might be flipped. I think it's Amaya, Kaya, Shania, and Elise. Because Elise has struggled so much uh, from the field and offensively and is just not getting as many minutes now because of those struggles. But I throw her out there for the full 40. Uh, just go and do what you do. Get back to basics. Build your confidence. 
whatever you did during conference year last season, harness that and unleash it on Newberry. And hopefully that's the springboard that this team needs to be able to get those four, specifically Elise and Shania, back into the flow of what they can do. Yeah, I, I'm hoping that that game gets sort of some buckets to go down. I'm hoping the break for a couple of ladies is a true mental break, you know, and I don't know if they're pressing, I don't know, you know, and of course you never know, these are young people, you don't know what else is going on, this is different times, how's their mental health, how's their family, how's their, I mean, I don't know, I'm not making excuses for them, but I've been around this a lot, um, and actually when I used to, uh, as a student, would travel with the network and John Robert Bell, legendary coach, Hall of Famer here at ETSU, um, street that we work on down on Bell Drive. And so would hear him tell stories about young people and how, you know, a guy have a bad game and found out, you know, later his grandmother died or, you know, whatever. He's like, Som- sometimes, you know, it's very reactionary for people to jump on young people because they don't know and they're trying to protect them. And, again, I'm not saying any of that is going on the least, but I think to let Shania at least go home, decompress, you know, let everything just forget about basketball for a couple of days, enjoy family, then come back, try to refocus. We'll see. Is that something that is going to help them refocus uh, their energy and then to get a Newberry game coming off that hopefully furthers the fact that they're able to figure out whatever it is that has not been going right for them. One more thing on this game and this past weekend in general. I think it's funny that you and me were talking about Friday what the Bucks needed out of Kaya, Makaya, Jakaya, Shania. You asked me that question. You're like, what are the numbers? What are the points and the rebounds? And so, in this case, I'm going to swap out Shania for Jasmine Sanders because she had the big weekend that she did. Really, you were just asking the top four bucks, right? What do you need out of the top four bucks, the contributors that are going to put up the numbers to get you to the finish line? I said 45 points and 25 rebounds. The Bucks got 40 and 21 against Davidson, 49 and 19 against Appalachian State. And you look at that, if you get a couple more points against Davidson, And a couple more rebounds, if you want to say that as well, because Davidson uh, did some nice things on the glass. But you get a couple more there, different game, 70-64 final. And, of course, you throw in the fact that Makai dribbled it off her foot. That's just blind, dumb luck. It could have happened to anybody. And then 49-19 against Appalachian State. And what was Appalachian State? 46-37 in terms of rebounding. And you got 10 second-chance points. So if you grab a few more of those rebounds you didn't get on the offensive side, 16 offensive rebounds for the Mountaineers things look a little different. So I think we were both spot on on what needed to happen, and it nearly did. And this was a good weekend for ETSU women's basketball because it was a bounce back, that bounce back you needed from a game that you will never want to look back on. You will never have good memories of against Presbyterian, your worst home loss in all of the eight years of Brittany and Zell. But the team didn't stop, didn't give up. They got hit in the face a couple of times by Davidson and Appalachian State. 16 nothing run by Davidson in the first half. The Bucs answered back with an 8 nothing run. Against Appalachian State, 17-2 to run. We talked about the end of the third quarter. The Bucks make it tight in the fourth. And even down to the final whistle, you have a chance to tie if you're down eight going into the final two minutes. So, again, a lot of good things, just like with ETSU men's basketball. It's how does that translate and carry over. And I think ETSU is in a bit more of a fortuitous position on the women's side than they are on the men's side because of that schedule. Like you said, you don't have to start until January 9th. So you have a lot of time when you get back. You have the Newberry game, a tune-up, and then more time after the Newberry game be able to work on exactly what you need to and hit the ground running in conference play rather than being kind of, I don't want to say blindsided by it because Jason Shea and company know it's coming, right? But Western Carolina is no easy foe these days. 
might have been easier a couple of years ago. It's going to be a tough game with Faulkner and everything that the Catamounts have brought the last couple of years. So um, it's an interesting time of year for these two teams, but I think both have um, big pluses going into the holidays. Yeah, we'll see how they react going home, coming back. We'll see. And we'll have those games for you. We'll have the preview for you after the Christmas break as well. Steps out for a timeout. Pros versus Jays remote edition, I believe. Coming up after this timeout. We hear a word from Sandos and Sidekick on the Buckner Sport Network. Somewhere out there, math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope Scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery, game-changing, life-changing fun. things that were made it easier plus uh the sound of the arena 
the biggest issue doing the game at a bar was the fact you literally just had the TV broadcast. And whatever that camera was doing, and occasionally when someone would go to a file, they'd go to a video package, or they'd go to something else, and so you weren't sure who the file's on, you have to wait for live stats, you got to figure it out. The noise in Alabama, I'm just so livid that they finally at 3 o'clock agreed to send me the stadium net sound, but it didn't match up with the TV feed, and I had to go off the TV feed because I was down at the restaurant where everybody was watching the game. And it also cut in and out. It cut in and out horribly. terrible. So there's a lot of things with that, but being around the fans and going into break and then being able to interact with them and get their thoughts and, hey, what, what so-and-so got or how many you know second-chance points do they have or blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's just, it, it was an incredible to be able to have those answers readily available and to go back. So they, probably the most informed, I think, a lot of the fans at the sports bar were about a game. You texted me about four or five minutes into the game and said, this is tough. What was the toughest thing about it? Was it just – because you actually identified, I thought, pretty well. Now, it's a big projector. I get it. It's a huge thing. So it may not be as difficult as I'm thinking. I was actually catching myself between cutting highlights and – making sure that we went to break and all this stuff back in studio, looking at the screen in here, because we got about a, it's 50 or so, maybe 60 inches, a 60-inch monitor in studio. So I was catching myself looking at the screen, trying to identify guys in case Internet went down at Wildwood Cafe and just making sure that I'd be able to not have this thing go totally off the rails. And I was able to do that with ETSU because you and me both know we don't need even jerseys on the guys, right? We know what they look like. We're familiar uh, with how they play, and so that wouldn't have been tough. But with Alabama – I was looking and seeing some of the guys that, it, it, after a few minutes, of course, it gets easier because you call them and you're like, okay, that's that guy. And you just your brain just is able to process a little bit quicker. But what was the toughest part? Was it the fact that the sound was not matched up? That was what I was thinking was going to be the tough part. Is the sound was about oh, oh, 40 minutes yeah. Yeah, yeah, because it would go like to a media break and you would hear just random music play. Yes. <laughs> or you hear the random whistle. Now, I tried to have it lower to where it wasn't as noticeable, and I don't know how many people were listening as intently as me, us being radio guys right. were. And so early in the game, I felt like it wasn't that far off, but then it continued during the game to get further and further off. It made it that much more difficult. But just having the one monitor and the awkward sound, and, and honestly, I just did what I normally do at home games. I just took one ear off. So I think it wasn't overbearing, the extra noise, and just, just trying to call it as is. But, I mean, it was it was done. I, the other, it just seemed like every time there was something that I would have needed to see something to get information, it seemed like they went to a graphic. Or, and sometimes it was a, wasn't even a graphic about the game. It was like, here was the coach of the year in the NBA and the first and second. Of the, I was like, what in the world? And none of those guys were SEC guys. So I, I didn't know really what was going on with some of the TV stuff. Case in point. A shot clock problem having a conversation. Tony Green talking to Nate Oaks. Nate Oaks can't believe that that was called on his player on the offensive foul by Gary. Well, he fixed the clock or something. It looks like an official review. Disadvantage of being a Wildwood Cafe. Is that official review? But no official review. Yeah, so it, 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 I really don't know. I think they were trying to reset the clock, and I guess whoever was doing the graphics for TV thought they were going to an official review, so it popped up big, big yellow banner pops up, official review, and it's blinking and glowing. So I'm like, hey, they're going to go to official review. <laughs> and what, by the time I got out of my mouth, there it went away, and they inbound the basketball. Okay, we're just kidding. No official review. So it was it, 
It's so bad. It was bad. That was a, yes, case in point, that's why it was bad. Example two. Second toss, no good, and a no. And is that a lane violation? Or a foul? Looks like a foul. Notice the ETSU gets the basketball back. So no shot. Okay. So, so, so here's how I had to figure that out. I had to go back to live stats and look at the free throw attempts and go back to my own stat sheet and figure out what it was. And so I figured out it was a lane violation because it was not – and they don't actually put lane violation on live stats. It just says team rebound, which I didn't know till later when I had to text Kevin Brown if that's exactly what that was. But I was able, just because we've done this long enough, to figure that out. But, yeah, that, you, you're so, uh, that's part of it. Do you have another one? That's, I'm I've got one more. Oh, last oh. one, mercifully. 2019 ETSU up by one. Driving down the lane. Shot a foul before the shot. Marcus Nyblock. He's going to be his first. Correction. And the double bonus already. I know you think I'm bashing you, but all of these things would have not been an issue if you were able to actually be in the arena. It's not to say that you did a crap job or it was brutal with the LJ. Like, that's not it. And funny enough, what we're going to go to in a second, the call of the Western Kentucky-Alabama finish, your gaffes, a microscopically you know, small uh, mess-up compared to what Mike Morgan and Damian Fishback had in that game, but thankfully, in response to that tweet that the final call was put out on, pretty much everyone was saying, this is why broadcasters need to be in the arena. Like, you look at the, the lane violation. You would have been able to look at all the different refs in real time and be like, oh, okay, if there was any confusion, you could have turned to Kevin Brown. Or they could they would have come over and it would have been very well, obvious. I know most of their names, and they're usually if you're like, his eye and it's nodding, and you go, yeah, so I could have got confirmation from a referee. The, fouls. I don't know how you keep track of fouls. I know you still keep the handwritten um, – book, uh, your own kind of book as you call a game. I do not. It's, so it's a cheat sheet, but yeah. I, same, same difference. I, I essentially look up at a scoreboard, or I look down at live stats, or and live stats you know, maybe led you astray a couple of times. Live stats are not always reliable because they can be behind, ahead, depending on the day. They can sometimes crash. Um, so there's with each of these, uh, and what was the other one? The third one was the, shot. Uh, the review. Uh, obviously, you would have not ever have said they're going to a review if you weren't watching the one screen that you had to call the game on, and they weren't flashing the big thing in your face. You would have just looked at what was going on in the court, would have had a much better idea of what was going on. And there's an energy and I think a feel of being around a court and a game and referees and teams and coaches and players where you can determine, if you've done it long enough, which you obviously have, what's going on. You and, didn't have that chance. Yeah, and I, it, it really is difficult and I you know what's funny was the first time I saw that call which well let's listen to it and I'll tell you about it shot clock down to seven now five gonna have to voice one up two seconds in the lane boosted at the rim there's Massey on the fall shot blocked but and they call a goaltend it's just what we talked about the offensive yep. rebound
Mike Morgan, Damian Fishback, ESPNU. And after your description of what happened at Wildwood Cafe and watching that call and realizing that they did not have the chance to be courtside either, it could happen to a pro, it could happen to a Jay, it could happen to anybody. I got a lot of sympathy for everybody in this situation. It, it, when I first watched it, somebody said, hey, did you see the end of this Western game? That's all he said. I'm like, no. And so it was like, here's the last. Cause I was, and I went back and watched the whole game like I always do to try to prepare for a game. But at that point, it was like that Saturday night, it had just happened, and somebody's like, hey, watch this. So I was like, all right. So I clicked and I watched. And the whole time, because, again, they had convinced me like everybody else because you can't really see the goaltend being called. No. I mean, you really can't. There's two visible refs. The ref that calls it is, like, blended in at the top of the screen with people behind it. And then the score bug itself, so which is tied in to the actual scoreboard. Like there, there is a, a quarter inch plug that goes in the back of all these scoreboards that is data that runs out to the product, whether it's ours or ESPN or Fox or any other body, CBS that carries games. So it's updated when the scoreboard. Well, the scoreboard operator also did not put the points up on the board immediately, which would have, which would have helped. But again, there was probably some confusion there. Somewhere, which I didn't notice this until later, somewhere about the time the shot's being taken, yes. the score changes. So if you're doing the game remotely, you're saying, oh, it's 71 71, it's got to be shot clock, blah, 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 keep going, keep going. Still there, all right, now you're in shoot. I mean, you see how the confusion works. And then what happened to Mike Morgan was you see, like I did, because again, I didn't notice the score had changed. I'm listening to the call. You're I'm watching Western Kentucky jumping up and down like they had won something. And I'm going, oh, no, this is one of those where, like, they forgot the score and they thought they won deal. Or the, 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 the famous he didn't know call I had where Lipscomb thought they were down one and we were tied and they fouled us at 1.9, 94 feet away, and we had free throws won the game. So I thought it was one of those. And then once you hear the, oh, they did call goaltending, and then I go back and then you start to pay attention. You're like, oh, okay. But you would never know. I mean, it, unless somebody is at the production thing, that, that's doing the timeouts or however they're coordinating with officials and replay or whatever, was to get on there and tell production, hey, that was goaltending, to get it back. You, you, you wouldn't have a clue. And so this is why this is so difficult. And I think everyone's like, oh, this is great, blah, blah. And I'm sure ESPN and everybody else thinking, well, we could save money. We can just do yeah. this all the time. And now I'm thinking this is probably a, a good reason why this is not going to be the thing. Poor Mike Morgan and Damian Fishback because – the score changes literally as the ball is in the air on the other end from Alabama. Before that, you've got the shot clock winding down, ball doesn't hit the rim, and it is a goaltend if you look back at it, right? If you get the chance to replay, rewind, and take a look, it's an obvious goaltend. But the shot clock was going off, and so there's like four or five different things going on in these guys' minds. They're trying to sort through it. They don't see the ref's call. Now, if you, again, Go back and look at the replay. There's like a half-second shot where you can see whoever the referee at the top of the screen was that made the call holding out two fingers, but he's in the background. You see the fingers for like a tenth of a second. He's behind a player that's the focus of the shot. Absolutely impossible situation, and it makes for good fodder for us, right? But it's also painful now, especially for you, I'm sure, because you know the struggle, and I am always going to be an avid supporter of being in venue, not only because it's a lot of fun and you can feel the energy and it pumps you up, right? That's why I love play-by-play because you get to call things as they unfold. Something new every time. Right? Exactly, right? Like, it's, you don't know what's coming. It's the thrill of the mysterious. 
but you also have the energy of the game. You also have clarity on calls. You do have more than one angle. You've got your eyes to go and observe everything, and so you can pick up things that the normal fan wouldn't, and that's what you're able to relay. And so for you and Mike Morgan and Damian Fishback, uh, I say I am so sorry you had to go through that. But for you, I say at least you were not Mike Morgan and Damian Fishback in that situation. I did not have Could have been a lot worse. the blow the call oh. the, the last, Rock. which would not have been my fault, but still – you know, it made rounds it early. Bad. They were getting crushed. Then after a while, everyone started to start. I like that everybody circled the wagon. At first, they were being crushed for being idiots. And eventually, uh, everyone actually started watching it. And it was like, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. ESPN's fault. Put them in value. Absolutely. All right. Next segment. Do we have to do this? Tom Brady won't make that mistake again. Antonio Brown to Tampa. Absolutely not going to happen. Clay Thompson, comeback player of the year. Calling it right now. The season Jim Harbaugh is taking Michigan to the national championship. Well, there's just no doubt the Southern Conference will be playing football in 2020. I'm going to go with L-O-L. Steve Ford, most certainly, will be back in the blue and gold. I'm going to go Jay Sandoz will fulfill his New Year's resolution 30 pounds down during the What you just said. Is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Yes. A simple wrong would have done just fine. I believe your lack no. of self-control. That's fair too. So we both get one right. I get one. You get one. Northwestern. They pull a huge Big Ten upset. Get the victory over State. What? Excellent oh. work, Wildcats. <laughs> Excellent work, me. Just how I said it would go down. Fantastic. Go Wildcats. Uh, did you turn it off you at halftime? <laughs> I mean, are you, you unaware? You saw the upset you, over are, the top ten team. Are you? Are Did you, you not? Are you unaware? I'm completely aware. Did that, you see the scores from this weekend? I think Ben Parrish is going Northwestern. I think Ben Parrish is going blowing you up on this. Northwestern, they got a huge upset. The institution got a huge upset this weekend, and that's what I said was going to happen. Was that in the wrong sport? I don't know if I ever named a sport that happened. <laughs> I think I said I the Northwestern was going to. Big Ten championship game came out of your mouth. <laughs> I might have said Patty Fitzgerald, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. What did they beat Michigan State by 14 on the basketball court, yeah. which was like, what, number four in the country oh, at that yeah. time? Yeah. And they were in good shape at halftime, 10 to 6 over Ohio State. Uh, unfortunately, I did specify, I think. I could have parlayed double down and gone, that wouldn't have helped either, of course, because football lost. Or I could have gone the generic and then really slid one underneath the, uh, the rug. Uh, and you pulled the wool over your eyes and gotten that take, but I'm not that clever, unfortunately. So I get none right because I also said, what else did I say? I think I said that. The men were going to score 100 against Lee. Well, yep. That looks bad. That looks bad yep. for me now. Uh, and the box held. This was painful. Chloe Welch on the women's oh, side to 14. <laughs> and I said that there would be 15 or less against the two 22-point scorers they were going to face. Welch averaging 22 a game for Davidson coming in. Hold her to 14. I feel brilliant. I'm like, this is going to be fun. On Sunday against Appalachian State, Pre Stanley coming in. And it was fun for about 39 minutes and 55 seconds. And then Stanley with 14 points to her name. A driving layup with five seconds left to win it. She adds one more free throw, and she ends up cracking the 15-point mark. It could have gone to anybody else. Why did it have to go to Pre Stanley? I mean, I know you put the ball in your best player's hands, but, uh, boy. I had 79 minutes and 55 seconds of a correct take. And then, naturally, with my luck so far this year, Free Stanley breaks my back right at the button. It was tough. That, that, that was a bad beat. You, of course, have all the luck in the a world. Genius. That was a genius. All the luck in the world. Where's Why the genius button? That Hit the genius button. I, I am the smartest man alive. I called what? Four out of five. 
of the Southern Conference teams all in a row. Two two-point victories. That's okay. I don't care if I got a half-point victory, which isn't legal. But still, if I got any victory, and I got them. The thing that hurt worse, though, was I needed Chattanooga to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, which hurt me. I think oh. disqualified the take. I'm almost with you on that. I hate so much. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Citadel beat Longwood by what, two? And then what yep. was the other two-point game? It was, uh, was it Chattanooga? Uh, Sanford-Kennesaw. Sanford-Kennesaw. I mean, I mean Chattanooga was like a four-point win. I mean, it wasn't like yeah. – it was. A, I think that was a four-point win. Uh, VMI also was a low single-digit win. Yeah, and so then Winthrop hammered, which I did not – I mean, I knew, obviously. The shocking thing was, was I think Furman was favored in that. Yeah, they were by three and a half. Oof. I mean, I'm no odds maker, but there's no way I would have had Furman in, I don't know. or whatever it was. It was yeah, insane. I, I, thought, I thought it would be a three-point like point spread the other way. But it was like three or three and a half. I, I was confused that that's what. 16, sorry, 87 to 71. But still, I, I would have, you know, if it had been three Winthrop, I thought it's fair. They're on the home floor or whatever. But well, they, were, they were three. UNCG comes from behind after being down at the half to Elon by seven. Citadel puts up 91 wins by two. Chattanooga yep. by three yep. on the road over UAB and Sanford by two. I mean, that's genius, what genius, is happening genius, here? genius. All right, what was my other one? I think I had Florida. If Florida had any clock management, they would have had a shot to get the ball back late. That was very odd. You also had a women's basketball one that didn't work out either. So you go one for three, I go for three. Somehow. But I went one. You went one. You got three, I got two. Let's do some bold predictions here. Okay. You want to start? Yeah, cri- Christmas Day, Christmas Day, write it down, triple-double, King James. LBJ, baby. It's going to be the gift to me. The greatest of all time. You like that, LeBron James. The GOAT. <laughs> I do like the triple-double. You and me are on the same page with his ability, his brilliance. Uh, I kind of wish I would have thought of that one first. Women's basketball has not shot 50% or above since January 19, 2019. They'll do that against Newberry. Elise Stafford has eight made field goals this year. Newberry, she will have eight or more. Oh, I love that. That is fantastic. Uh, By our next regular show, because we're going to do a Southern Conference preview show after Christmas before the 30th, so you're all prepared for SoCon play. By our next regular show, we'll do bold predictions. No Southern Conference team on the men's basketball side will have more than one conference win. There are two game days before that. And the teams that play twice, Furman, Chattanooga, UNCG, ETSU, Western Carolina, Sanford, BMI, and Citadel. Eight of the teams play twice. None of them will have more than one win. Wofford and Mercer only play once. So I save myself a little bit with Mercer. But you look at the matchups, and I can break them down for you if you want, but there are some very, very interesting matchups in the first two game days where I really think that an ETSU, a UNCG, a Furman all had the chance to go one and one, and I think they will. I'll look it up as you do your men's basketball goal prediction, or whatever you're going to do. What are you going to do? Oh, yeah, I got LBJ. Oh, no, we got to do playoffs. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Wild card. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's good. Hold on. Let me get my standings up here. Because you, you are way way prepared for that because you came up with that, so I'm sure you're already sitting on all your plays here. I am, absolutely. Okay, so I'm supposed to pick the three wild card teams, right? Any order? Any order. Uh, both conferences. Any order. Any order. Okay. Just making sure. Oh, wait, no. It has oh, to be no, no, it has to be Okay, has to be Okay, I was just making sure. Yeah. All right, because especially in AFC, you're looking at a couple of divisions that haven't been settled, right? you still got the Steelers and uh, Cleveland, and you still have the Titans and the Colts. Ah, man. And then, okay, I'm going to go that the Steelers are not going to write the ship. 
They will be the five seed. I'm going to take the Colts as the six seed. And I'm going to say the Ravens knock out the Dolphins for the seven. I'm going to go Cleveland, Indianapolis, Baltimore. So uh, the only difference that we have is that I think Pittsburgh wins is going to win the division, and Cleveland will be the five. But I do think that Baltimore, Miami is on the rise. I love Tua. I think that franchise, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think that franchise is headed in the right direction. It's not like saying the New York Jets or Jacksonville Jaguars are headed in the right, right direction. But uh, a couple of years ago, and in fact for a long time, you'd say, Miami going in the right direction, that's absolutely insane. Go get your head checked. You're out of your mind. But I do think that they're taking positive steps. They're going to be solid for years to come. This is not that year. Tampa's going to be your five seed. The Rams will be the six. And, and you're probably going to laugh. But, uh, Bears! The, Vikings! The Chicago uh, Bears will be the seven seed. They're so annoying. Just because Arizona's got a couple tough NFC West matchups early. I'm going Tampa, Rams, and Arizona. So we really only disagree on two teams, and whoever gets more of those rights, so whoever gets, I guess, the two. We could tie two. There's two of them, so we could go one and it's one. True. Whoever gets two uh, will get the point. So this is a head-to-head. So this is four and point. I'm pretty excited. Uh, so look at these two SoCon game days. Furman at Chattanooga. UNCG at Citadel. Western Carolina at UTSU. BMI at Sanford. Then on Saturday the 2nd, Chattanooga at BMI. Citadel at Western Carolina. Mercer at Furman. UTSU at UNCG. Sanford at Whopper. ETSU split because they've got UNCG. UNCG will beat them. They'll beat Western Carolina. So those teams will be one and one. You got Furman at Chattanooga. That's a game that they could lose. Then they're home to Mercer, a game that they could lose. They'll be one and one. Uh, let's see, Chattanooga will be one and one because I have them losing to Furman. Then they'll beat BMI. I mean, it's just all falling perfectly into place. So I think no team with more than one win. Southern Conference basketball at the beginning. I love that. That is a good one. Love it. Merry oh. Christmas. Happy holidays. There you go. All right. Santa's sidekick. Back with you. After the presents are open. Bye, Air Sports Network. Cowboy up. Go play ball.